All right. Well, tomorrow is New Year's Day, so I'm taking this opportunity to break from our usual study, um, which is in the book of Colossians, and uh, to challenge you, to challenge you for the new year. Are you ready? Um, so um, my challenge for you is twofold. One is that you would read your Bible through next year, in 2024, from Genesis to Revelation. That's the first challenge. And the second challenge is that you would read your Bible every day, every day. So that's two things. Um, and to help you do that, as usual, we have a Bible reading calendar, a daily Bible reading calendar. It'll take you through the Old Testament and the New Testament each day. Um, and uh, it will allow you to read your Bible every day and finish um, about this time next year and during the process to be on the same page with other people at Trinity Bible Church, including me, who are, are um, planning to do the same thing um, next year. So this is a daily Bible reading calendar. You can pick it up in the back. We have plenty of them, so don't be shy about um, taking um, one uh, of them. Actually, it's not important that you use this plan. This is just one plan. There are many others that you can find easily or you can make your own. Uh, this might be too fast for you, too much to tackle, to go through the entire Bible in a year. It might be too slow for you. You might want to do more reading. I know some of you have done more reading uh, in the Bible than simply read it through in one uh, year. Um, but it's important, let me say, if you're not going to use this one, it's important for you that you read your Bible every day. That you plan to read your Bible every day in the new year. That if you haven't been reading your Bible every day, that this is the year that you do. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so it's a daily uh, practice that you do. And let me also uh, encourage you, um, even if you're not going to use this plan, but a different one, that you uh, use a plan that will take you through all parts of Scripture and not just your, the most f parts that are most familiar um, to you. Um, Paul said to the uh, Ephesian elders, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He didn't just stick with his favorite part, but he declared the whole counsel of God to them. He says in another place, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's true of all scriptures, true of scripture as a, a whole. So I hope you will... Um, answer the challenge and uh, uh, begin this year and, and we can encourage one another to be uh, to make this a year of being saturated in God's word. And uh, in keeping in connection with that, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to James chapter one, James chapter one. And uh, I've titled this message, the blessed life in the new year, the blessed life in the new year. There are two different words for blessed in the New Testament. They're both translated with the English word blessed, uh, but two different words. And as you might guess, these two words mean almost the same thing with a slightly different emphasis. One emphasizes the utter utterance of a blessing, the spokenness of uh, a blessing. And so to be blessed is to be um, well spoken of in that way. Um, this is used in James chapter 3, verse 9, this word, when it says, uh, with our mouths, um, 
From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. It's talking about what's coming out of your mouth. A blessing, but then also a curse. And uh, that uh, is not as it should uh, be. So that's one of the words for blessing. The other word that's used for blessing emphasizes not so much the spokenness of blessing, but the state of being blessed. And so um, in scripture, the Beatitudes that are given, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, use this other word, not the spokenness of the blessing, but the state of blessedness. And so um, this is uh, the word that means pretty much the same thing as when someone wishes you a happy new year. And especially if they're a Christian wishing you a happy new year, they're wishing you a blessed new year. In fact, happiness could be a good uh, synonym if it's understood in uh, the right way for this uh, aspect of uh, blessedness. And this word for blessed is used two times in this passage that I'm going to read to you in James chapter one. Um, it's used once at the very beginning of the passage and once at uh, the very end of the passage. In fact, there are basically two Beatitudes. Once at the beginning of this passage, I'm going to read and once at the end. So those two statements of blessing, plus everything that comes in between, trace out the blessed life that I wish you this uh, new year and for the year of 2024 and for all of us together as a church. So uh, let me read the passage. James chapter 1, verse 12 through 25. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So two descriptions here of the blessed life, one at the beginning of the passage, one at the end of the passage. And uh, the first description is this. The blessed life is a life of enduring under trial. The blessed life is a life of enduring under trial. That's the kind of year that I wish you to have 
is a year of enduring under trial. The Bible says that God's uh, thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are not uh, our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts uh, than our thoughts. And this is one of the ways in which his thoughts and his ways are higher and different uh, from our ways. Because how would you most typically, if you're just doing it just without thinking, how would you define a blessed life? How would you define a happy new year in terms of uh, trials? And you might be inclined to say that a blessed life, a happy year would be one where you're free of trials, where trials are not part of your year. And that might be what you think you're wishing someone when you say, I wish you a happy new year. I wish you a year uh, without uh, trials. But that's not what the scripture says. That's not what scripture says the blessed life is. Scripture says that the blessed life is not being free from trials, but the blessed life is enduring trials, is bearing up under trials. So when I wish you a blessed new year, a happy new year, I'm wishing you a year of enduring under uh, trials, because that's what uh, it says here in James. You will have trials in the year 2024. And uh, if you think about it, I think you know even now what some of those trials will be. Or you have a pretty good guess. You're probably right uh, if you guess what some of those uh, trials uh, will be. And then there will be other trials that will come that are a total surprise. As you have no idea that you're going to have now. And yet there are going to be trials of 2024. And a blessed year is not a year in which those trials will be removed but a year in which those trials would be endured. Blessed is the man who endures under trial. One thing that's a little bit deceptive about our Bible reading calendar is that every year looks exactly the same. <laughs> looks the same boxes, the same. Uh, in fact, I think I've done it enough that I almost, some, some days I kind of know what the assignment is going to be uh, for the, for the, uh, that day of the year. Every, uh, year looks exactly the same, but your trials, your specific trials of the coming year will drive you to scripture in a unique way that it will only do in uh, this uh, coming year. Your trials drive you to scripture in different ways, bring out different parts of scripture, make different parts of scripture important to you, make different parts uh, of scripture sweet uh, to you. The longest meditation in uh, the Bible on the scriptures is Psalm 119. And uh, whoever the writer is, maybe David, maybe somebody else, maybe Ezra, um, takes that into account and talks a lot about how that suffering drives him to scripture. Suffering opens scripture to him. Suffering makes a scripture to be real to him. Suffering makes scripture to be sweet. Su suffering actually gives him the wisdom of scripture as it drives him to it. As it says, I'll just read one, Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I think the idea is that the statutes could be learned in no other way than through uh, this uh, affliction. Well, why is it blessed to persevere, to endure under trial, not just to remove, not to remove them, but to persevere under them? Well, it says in verse 12, for once he has been approved, once you've stood the test of that trial, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The reason why it is blessed to persevere under trial is because when it's 
done, when it's approved, when you've stood uh, the test, you receive a crown of life. And uh, I suppose you could think of um, the reward you receive in heaven or upon your death uh, of it, but and and certainly it, it may speak uh, to that. But it seems to be a, a, a reward that we experience even here in life. It's, it's when the approval comes. It's when the standing uh, comes that you receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those uh, who love uh, him. And the crown seems to be abundance of life, abundance of being alive uh, is what is given to you. And that is defined in scripture as knowing God. John chapter 17 and uh, verse 3 The Lord Jesus defines the eternal life that he's uh, purchasing for his people. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is. And we experience some of that now to actually know God and to know uh, the Lord Jesus, whom he has sent. The Lord said in another place, the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy that Satan. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the, the Christ came that his people might know life, might know eternal life, which is not just a life that never ends, a, a continuing sequence uh, of events that never comes uh, to an end, that never ends in death. It's a quality of life. It's a quality of being alive. And he said, I came that they might have that life and have it abundantly, have it in an overflowing way, have, have the uh, experience of being alive, which is really of knowing God. That's what it most means. Uh, to be alive and to know him through Christ and that they would have more than they need of this being alive so that they'd be able to use it to be a blessing to others as well. The purpose of trials, the purpose of the trials that you're experiencing this next year is not to destroy you. It's not to separate you from God. The purpose of those trials is because God loves you and he wants you to know him. That's what it means to be alive. That's what it means to have the crown of life. And he knows that you won't know him in any other way uh, than through trials. And so that's why he brings trials. That's why he said, blessed is the one who endures trials for when he's approved, when he's endured those trials, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's not just an exercise. It's not just something to make you tough. Uh, it's a way for you to know uh, the Lord. So the blessedness, the happiness I wish for you is not the blessedness and happiness of having no trials. It's the blessedness and happiness of enduring trials. And that's what it means to really be alive, to have life, to have the crown of life and abundant life uh, upon you. But there's something very important for you to know about uh, the trials that are coming to you in 2024. And the verses that follow for almost, I think, the next six or seven verses really emphasize this. It's important for you to know about uh, these trials, and that's this, of the trials that are coming to you in this uh, coming year. They do not come from the very heart of God. And I'm saying it in that way. I'm saying it in that way. They do come from God. They do come from God. He's in control of them. He's sovereign uh, over them, and in, in, in that sense, they're sent from God, but I'm, I'm putting it in this way. They don't come from his very heart. And why am I putting it that way? Well, that's the way it's put in Lamentations chapter three and verse uh, 31. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindnesses. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve. 
the sons of men. He's talking about how the Lord is towards uh, his people. It says he does not afflict them willingly. Willingly is the way my translation put it. But what it literally says is he does not afflict from the heart. He brings it, he sends affliction to his people. He's in control of it. He could prevent it if he wanted to. No, he sends it. But when he sends it, he doesn't send it from his heart. He doesn't send it uh, from his heart. What does that mean? What does that uh, mean? Well, each trial, and I'll put it more in terms of how it's described here in uh, James, each trial has a temptation in it, has a temptation that goes along with it. In fact, each trial, the ones that you're thinking about, the ones that you're not thinking about, have a temptation in those uh, trials. And the point and the purpose of that temptation that's in that trial is to destroy you. It is to cause you to despair. It is to cause you to abandon your faith in Christ and to separate you from God uh, forever. And so with each trial comes a temptation, so much so that they seem to be one and the same, the trial and the temptation. In fact, it's the same word that's used uh, for them um, because that's how we think of them. We think of the trial and the temptation together. They seem to be uh, one and the same, but the temptation is not from God. The trial is from God. But the temptation, the the uh, purpose to destroy you, the purpose to separate you forever from God uh, is not from uh, God. And uh, this, the James makes that uh, very clear. Let no one say when he is tempted, he's talking about these very same trials. In fact, he uses the same word as the one who perseveres under trial. I am being tempted by God. But he's talking especially about this purpose to destroy. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. So don't say when you come into the trial, God has a purpose to destroy me. God has a purpose to separate me from him forever. That's actually what the trial seems to mean. (laughs) If you just take it at face value, if you just look at it for what it is, that's what it seems to be doing. That's what it is uh, doing. Uh, And yet God is not doing that. That is not God's purpose in sending it uh, to you. In fact, he has the opposite uh, purpose. So when the trial comes... Don't say when the trial comes, I'm being tempted by God for that's impossible. God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not uh, tempt anyone. But there is a temptation in each trial. Where does it come from? It doesn't come from God. Where does it come from? Well, it says in verse uh, 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. There is a temptation. In each trial, it doesn't come from God. Where does the temptation come from? It doesn't come from God at all. It comes from you. It comes from your lust. It comes uh, directly from you. So there is a temptation in each trial, but it comes uh, from you. And in fact, the source of this temptation, you carry around with you. You carry around with you a grievous temptation factory that doesn't need any help from the outside. Uh, to accomplish its wicked work and to bring uh, a temptation. And so uh, James describes this very vividly in such a way that it, the temptation comes from you. It doesn't come from God. And he describes uh, this uh, temptation, which is seeking to destroy you, seeking to separate you permanently uh, from God. He describes it very vividly as an unwanted pregnancy that starts when you consent to the temptation And when you do, 
there's a process, there's a pregnancy, and it can't be stopped. It grows until it gives uh, birth uh, to it. And so it's uh, pictured uh, very vividly, and the vividness is the point. It's to get your attention. But each one is tempted, here's where it comes from, when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust, something within you, something that's part of you, something that is you, carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So temptation, consent, sin, death, it's an inevitable uh, process, just like a pregnancy that begins to uh, form. And uh, it cannot be stopped until it comes to uh, a birth. So he describes it as this path that leads to death. James is much like the book of Proverbs. Proverbs also traces out the pathway of death in a very stark way, uh, so that it is the very opposite to the path of righteousness. And the point in Proverbs as it is in James is not so that when you find yourself on this pathway, you throw up your hands and say, well, I guess it's just, it can't be stopped. It just has to take its uh, course and it's, it's leading ultimately to uh, death. No, the point is so that as soon as you know that you're on your, this pathway, you get off of this pathway. And so James talks about a pathway that starts with temptation. It starts with lust and you give in uh, to it and then it gives birth to an actual sin. And then the sin is going to give birth uh, to an actual uh, a death uh, as well. And uh, his point is not uh, once you start, just let it happen. His point is you need to get off the path. You need to change your ways uh, uh, from it. But he's explaining uh, how this uh, process uh, works. And his real point is that the origin of this temptation comes not from God, but comes uh, from uh, yourself. In the midst of trial, you're inclined to wrongly attribute that the temptation comes from God and not uh, from yourself. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3 talks about this. The foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. This whole process of temptation, sin, and death uh, happens and it comes from uh, the fool from himself and instead of raging against himself, which is where the temptation comes from. The fool rages uh, against God. And so uh, the uh, James, he um, he's preparing the, the readers for trial. And he says this in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. This is important. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So he says, don't be deceived. In fact, he doesn't just assert this, but he, he puts it in that way first. You're likely to be de- deceived about this. So he tells them, don't be deceived uh, about this. Don't be deceived about what? About trials. Don't be deceived when you come into trials about the heart of God towards you. Because who God is, he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Don't be deceived. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. He doesn't change even during trials. God is a giver of good and perfect gift. And that's true of you even when you go into and through uh, trials. Salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. That's that's our message, actually, to the world. It's a free gift in uh, Christ. The Reformation was all about affirming that, that simple truth, that salvation is a free gift. And I say the Reformation because the gospel is about that. And the gospel, the Reformation really recovered uh, the true gospel and put it uh, forward 
very uh, clearly. Salvation is a free gift, and that's a very hard lesson to learn. In fact, in some ways, it's the hardest of all lessons, because man is always trying to make a backdoor payment to God for salvation in some way. Even if he says, well, I don't really deserve uh, salvation, always trying to find a way to make a payment to God for salvation. The flesh hates receiving a free gift from God of salvation, would like to have salvation in any other way, on any other terms, because the flesh recognizes receiving salvation as a free gift as a death, as a death of being in control. When you receive a free gift from God, you're not in control anymore. And the flesh uh, knows uh, that. And so it's a hard lesson to learn that salvation is a free gift. And yet that's what the scripture says about uh, the wonderful gospel that we receive. It can be received in no other way, but as a free gift with no payment, no backdoor payment, no payment uh, at all. But that's not just true of salvation. And this is another reason why it's very important. It goes all the way back to the heart of God. Salvation is a free gift because it is the nature of God to be a free giver of good gifts. And when you know God through the gospel and not through some other way, you finally know him as he is, as a giver of every good and perfect gift. And it's true even amidst trials. Don't be deceived when you fall into trials because this is actually how God is. He's the giver of every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. The temptation that comes with the trial is not from above. It's from your lust. It's from yourself. But the every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, that's his character, and, and he, he puts it in this way, the Father of lights. That's, that's where um, things come down from above, is lights, especially lights in uh, the stars. And so when it talks about God being a father, a father who knows how to good, give good gifts to his children, calls him a father in terms of lights, a father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He's a father of lights like the stars, like the heavenly bodies, except for that the heavenly bodies change. And uh, you know the song? I know you know it, Twinkle Little Star. Uh, everybody here knows that uh, song, but it's actually, it actually speaks of something that's true and it can be measured even by scientific uh, instruments, that uh, the stars, even I think on the clearest sort of nights, they, they twinkle. They change, they pulse, they, they change, um, and you can see it with the eye, you can measure it. Uh, with instruments, it's not just something uh, passing through, but it's the way that the light travels uh, to us. They change, and yet God doesn't. God doesn't. He's the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He's a, his giver, being a giver of good gifts is something that doesn't twinkle. It remains the same and it remains the same even in trials. And so he says, don't be deceived. It seems like God has changed towards you. His intention towards you has changed in the trial. No, don't be deceived. He's the giver of every good thing and every perfect gift. It comes down uh, from uh, the Father above. God, God's heart never changes towards you, and that's true even in trials. I was reminded of a hymn that we like to sing. It's a question to yourself, or I guess to the person sitting next to you. Has thou not seen how thy desires e'er have been granted in what he ordaineth? And there it is. There, he's the giver. He's a grantor, the giver. Your desires have been granted in what he has uh, ordained. So God is not out to get you in 2024, even though there are certainly trials in 2024, which might make it seem like for if you just look at appearance. He's not out to get you in 2024. God is not setting you up to fail in this new year. He's not out to destroy you. 
God is not devising a trap for you right now. In fact, it's the opposite. He's removing your foot from the fowler's snare and uh, reversing it. Uh, what is uh, against you, he is bestowing a crown upon you. That's why he's sending you through trials. Blessed is the man who perseveres under uh, trial. To endure under trial, to be blessed, the blessed uh, life means first removing from your heart dark suspicions of God about his intentions towards you that are actually untrue. And that's why the crown of life, uh, which the Lord has promised, is for those who love him, for those who love him, love being with him, love being near him, love going through trials uh, with him. And so you need to know, you need to take seriously in 2024 and take it according to the gospel, his love for you as it's given to you in the gospel. We love him, and that's part of the blessed life, because he first loved us. And so our love for him is based on his love uh, for us. And so you need to take seriously God's gospel love for you, that he really loves you. And you need to take seriously more than you did in 2023. That kind of love is actually a love by which your sins are revealed for what they are. It's the only way that your sins are revealed uh, for what they are and your true self is revealed, the self that puts forward all those temptations and uh, that actually come uh, from you. You only see that for what it is and are not deceived about it uh, when you're standing in his love that goes all the way back to his uh, character. So let your trials even teach you about God's character, that, that he is a giver. He's the father of lights, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And don't be deceived. The blessed life. The blessed life is a life of enduring under trial. That's the life that I wish for you, the year that I wish for you in this coming uh, new year. The blessed life is also, and here's the second blessing. I realize I'm just about out of time. Uh, but the, the blessed life is also a life of hearing and doing God's word. It's a life of enduring under trials. And it also goes together with this, that it's a life of hearing and doing God's word. And that comes from verse 25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man, the hearer and doer of God's word will be blessed in everything he does. Blessed in everything he does. And that's, that's what I wish for you this new year, to be blessed in everything that you do is to be a hearer and a doer of God's word. Well, let me work up to this second description of the blessed life by picking up right where we left off. And that's in uh, verse uh, 19. And this is actually an example of one of the good and perfect gifts that God gives uh, to us and a prime gift, a foundational gift that he gives to us. This, you know, uh, oh, sorry, verse 18. Verse 18 is where I meant. Uh, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his uh, creatures. This is one of the good and perfect gifts that goes all the way back to the heart of God that never changes. And that's why he uh, makes clear in verse 18 about this gift, that it's in the exercise of his will. That's his character. That, go, it's, uh, that it goes all the way back uh, to his heart. From the heart, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. It's speaking about the new birth. And he did it according to his will, according to his character, because he's the giver of every good and perfect gift, including that one. And uh, he never uh, changes uh, in it. And so this uh, passage has two births in it. There are two births in this passage. And the, the one birth is actually the only way to counteract 
the other, the one we described as an un- unwanted pregnancy that starts with temptation. You give into it and it gives birth to sin and that birth, that sin, uh, gives birth then to, uh, death. But the only way that that can be counteracted is with a second birth, a second birth that comes from God. It comes from God. He's, uh, the origin of it. And I said in the, the one birth, the one that we described as an unwanted pregnancy leading to, uh, death, nothing from outside is needed. You carry everything that you need to make that birth happen again and again and again and again. Uh, it, it's all carried with you. It comes uh, from you. It comes from your lust. In the other birth, you need something else. You need something that comes to you from the outside. You need his word. And so now for the first time in this description of the blessed life, we have something about the word uh, of God. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. It's one of his gifts. And how did he do it? By the word of truth. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. When God creates, he uses his word. That was true of the first creation that he created. He spoke it into existence. And when he creates with his word, his word is like him. His word is an expression of his heart and his creation. What he creates through his word is like him in some way. It reflects back uh, to him. So when God created with his word in the beginning, it was good, just like God is good. And the crown of his creation, man, uh, was made in the image and the likeness of God, reflecting back uh, through uh, him. And so when he creates his new creation, the new birth, the new creature that he's created in you, he does it through his word which expresses his character. That's what you're going to be reading all year is uh, about God's character, about his works, about his promises, about his commands. And they all reflect God's uh, character. And when he speaks that word, it brings about a creation that's like him, that reflects him in some way. That's the new creation. That's the new creature that you uh, have uh, become. And so God creates that new creation, that new birth, that new person, uh, that he's making you, he does it through his word, and he sustains what he creates also through his word. So if you want to counteract that other kind of birth with uh, this birth, the birth of the new creation uh, in you, you need you continually need something from outside of you. You need God's word. The creation is uh, created by the word of God and it's sustained by the word of God. And so um, as he gives this example and introduces God's word, uh, James next starts talking about things that are quick and slow for beloved brethren. This you know, my beloved brethren, that he creates through his word. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Being quick to hear the word of God, slow to speak, and slow to anger is the posture of someone who knows very well that death and temptation comes from himself. And the good gifts come down from the Father of lights through his word. And so that person is slow to speak what comes from self because it might lead to anger against God and anger and resentment. It's reflected to others as well and quick to hear the word of God because it sustains the new creation. It sustains uh, the new life. And so those who know this about God, he's the giver of every perfect gift and he's caused us to uh, given us a gift of a new creation brought about by his word, that person is going to be quick to hear, quick to be reading the word of God every day and eager to read the word of God every day. Slow to speak, slow to speak your own word based on something you know apart from the word of God and slow to anger, which is what doing that is going to uh, cause. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save 
your souls. And so this transformation, the getting rid of the one kind of birth and uh, promoting the other kind of birth uh, that's happened is a two-way street. Tim was talking about in Sunday school today, not just what you put in God's word, but what you keep out as well. And this is the same two-way street. This is part of what we're doing when we're reading the Bible through every year. It's also the other half of it is putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility receive the word of God, which is implanted, which is able to save your souls. And so this other birth, you need something from outside of you, the word of God. But there's a word, there's a, a word here about that. It's important. It's implanted. As you bring it in from the outside, there's something in you already. If you know Christ, if you're a child of God, there's something in you already that resonates with it. It's implanted in you already as you're taking it in. Uh, there's something that resonates with the new birth. And so it's a joy to uh, receive the word of God in this way. And it's able to save your souls and able to uh, complete uh, the transformation that's been started uh, in you. But the blessed life is not just receiving it or hearing it, but it's also doing it, taking the time, taking the work to uh, become not just a hearer, but a doer. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves, who delude themselves. And then the illustration is given, we'll finish with this, of the right and wrong way to be not only a hearer, but a doer of God's word. And it's used in terms of a mirror, a mirror. And God's word is a special mirror because if you use it in the right way, you actually become like him. You become a creation that resembles uh, the creator, not just by hearing, but by doing uh, as well. So uh, there, there are uh, two kinds of ways of using this mirror that are, uh, uh, pictured for us. And the first is the wrong way for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror for once he looks at himself and has gone away. He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That's the wrong way. And here's the right way. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of Liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful here, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So we said the, the blessed life is enduring trials. The blessed life also is about God's word. And that's what I'm wishing for you in the new year, that you be not just a hearer, but a doer of God's word, one who uses God's word as a mirror in uh, the second uh, way and who's blessed in what uh, he does. Uh, The first man also uses God's word as a mirror, but the description that's given is kind of a, a, a detailed description that is given, but somehow it's made clear it's a hurried look. It's a hurried look at uh, this mirror. This man looks in the mirror, his natural face in the mirror, and once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And so there's a there's a haste uh, with him looking in the mirror. I think maybe we could understand it a little better. If you understand about ancient mirrors, our mirrors are very clear. It's, it's almost like just looking at another person. It's the same kind of uh, resolution, so to speak. But ancient mirrors would be a little bit more like looking in a hubcap at your reflection and trying to figure out what you need to do. And so it would have required a little bit more effort and it would have taken a little bit more time to fix whatever you need to fix. In uh, the mirror, it was just polished bronze that they used, not uh, the kind of um, glass that we use for uh, mirrors. And this man obviously just doesn't want to look that hard in uh, the mirror. And so he's he's like a hearer of the word who's not a doer of the word. He's not using it to fix what needs to be fixed. He's looking at it. He's going away. He's forgetting what kind of person uh, he was. 
And uh, part of the point of this is that looking at the word of God is painful because it shows the truth. It shows you what you are, like like what's described here where the temptation is coming from yourself. It's not coming from above. It's coming from yourself. And uh, there's many things that uh, are shown to you in uh, the mirror. So how do you be brave to face the ugliness as it is in the mirror, to not just go away from it and think about something else, but to actually make a change and to actually begin to walk uh, a different way? You know, it's possible to use this uh, Bible reading calendar and to check every box. There are boxes. I don't check the boxes, uh, but you can if you want. You can check uh, the box and you can check it uh, every single day. And uh, it's possible to never miss a day, all 365. I've never done that before, to go all 365 days uh, of the year and never miss uh, a day. It's possible to do that and to be like this first man who looks in the mirror, looks in it every day, actually, and uh, goes away, looks at himself and has gone away and has immediately forgotten what kind of man he was. And guess what? There's no blessing in that. That man is not going to be blessed in what he does. In fact, it's kind of a waste of time almost. I won't say that. I won't say that. It's a, The Lord can use his word. Uh, but there's no blessing in it. There's no uh, blessing in uh, doing that. What would you say to someone who does that? Who's checked the box? Who's done every day? and uh, gone through our Bible reading calendar uh, at Trinity, but uh, has done it like the first man who looks in the mirror and goes away and forgets what kind of person he is. I've talked to people like this because I've asked people who have gone to Trinity who have told me that they do this every day and follow this calendar every day who are no longer walking with the Lord. And so they did it. They did it maybe more faithfully than you. And yet they did it like this first man who uh, looks at himself in the mirror and has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. How do you look in the mirror in the word of God? So it's not something you want to look at for the least amount of time possible and then get get away, but it's something you want to look at and then stay there. Meditate on it. Take as long as it takes to become not just a hearer, but a doer of the word. And there's a little hint that's given in the right way of looking in the mirror, verse 25. One who looks intently, he's staying there, at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what uh, he does. Uh, the hint is, is that this man looks at the, the perfect law. To him, it's a perfect law, and it's a law of liberty. It's a law that uh, liberates uh, him. What is the law of liberty? What is the perfect law of liberty? And I'll give you just a couple of hints about it. The law of liberty is the same as the word that gives life, the word that causes uh, the new birth. That's the first hint. The second hint is that the the law of liberty, understanding the word of God as a a law of liberty, has something to do with mercy, has something to do with mercy. And I say that because of James chapter 2, verse uh, 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over uh, judgment. Uh, The law of liberty has something to do with being shown mercy yourself and then showing mercy to others so that you're a doer of work who's like uh, God uh, himself. So uh, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty is one who comes to God's word 
as it's given to him through the gospel, through the gospel of God's mercy towards you and understanding God's character is like that uh, towards you. And to that person, the law is not something you want to get away from with its commands, but it's a law that's perfect. It's completed. It has everything in it that it needs, the gospel itself, to be a law not that binds you uh, and, and that uh, you see as something that is a fetter uh, towards you, but a, a law that liberates you to live a life that is like uh, the life of uh, God himself. So come to the law to stay. Come to the, the word of God each day to remain there, to have it remain in your mind, not just to uh, check a list. And when you do that, you need to come to the word of God as what it is, as something that comes from the heart of a God of mercy towards you, as it's shown through the gospel. And then you'll find uh, the Bible, including the commands uh, in the Bible, to be the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law that's able to bring about in you uh, what it calls for. So let me wish you this morning, not a happy new year, but a blessed new year and a blessed in terms of what, uh, how it's defined in this passage. A blessed life is a life of enduring trials. Trials, yes, but with the sting removed. The sting of the trial is the idea that the trial goes all the way back to God's character to his disposition towards you, that it's an exact reflection of his disposition towards uh, you. And that thing has been removed. The, the, the trial uh, does not go all the way back to the heart of God. It, actually, the purpose in it is actually to cause you to know him better so that you can have a crown placed on your head, a crown of life. A blessed life is a life of enduring trials. And then a blessed life is a life of hearing and doing God's word. So you're to... Pick up the word of God each day like you pick up a mirror and then don't flee from it, from what you see there about yourself, what you're commanded to do there, but remain with it. Meditate on it. Even uh, when it states the worst uh, about you, it's made perfect by the gospel of God's love towards you. That's where it's transformed into a law of liberty uh, towards uh, you so that you can go deeper into the life and character of knowing God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bestow on us this crown, this crown of life, crown of uh, being alive, of eternal life, and the life of knowing you, knowing your character and being made like you. We know that this crown comes from those who endure trials, and so we pray that we might uh, endure these trials and see them for what they are, not... Uh, uh, ways that you're pushing us off, but ways that you're calling us uh, to yourself. And then we pray that we might pick up your word. Uh, and when we do know that we're picking up what brings us blessing, pray that we would use it as we should, as a mirror, as uh, a law that brings liberty, because it comes from a heart of love from you as shown to us in the gospel. And so we pray that we would linger long uh, both with the Bible in our lap or at the table and also with the Bible in our minds, uh, meditating uh, on it and that we would be truly transformed by it. Pray that you'd encourage us uh, to be brave, to work, to be an effectual doer of the word and not a hearer only. And we pray for blessing in this new year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.